0: Hi, this is Jeff, and I'm the pastor of Word of Life Miami here in Miami, Oklahoma, and this is our podcast. I'm glad you've chosen today to listen to our podcast, to tune into what God is doing here. I hope this encourages you. I hope it enriches your life. I hope it causes you to draw even closer to Jesus. Enjoy. And I want to talk about our life of worship. Let me recap real quick. Week one, we talked about our supreme call. And we looked at the fact that we are all priests uh, under the new covenant with Christ, that we can now offer a sacrifice, we can offer a praise, we can offer our presence, we can enter into the presence of God, which is new under the new covenant, that in the Old Testament that was something that the common worshiper of God just couldn't do, uh, that it required a tribe... It required a specific bloodline, and it required a specific set of sacrifices to be able to enter into the presence of God. And we, we discovered that uh, God is looking for worshipers, not necessarily worship. But worship accompanies worshipers, and uh, that was kind of a, a new outlook on the way worship transpires from our lives. And then week number two, we looked at our posture of worship, and we looked at seven ways of breaking down the word praise. We looked at uh, the fact that praise has multiple meanings from the way in which we express ourselves. That uh, one word for praise says that it's just uh, being clamorously foolish. How cool is that? Uh, we, we, I know that the kids tend to get a little loud and a little crazy in here. But I think they're a great representation of how we need to be free in the presence of God. Sometimes they forget that we're in the presence of God. But for the most part, they demonstrate the reckless abandon in the presence of God that God wants for us. And we talked about in there that there are shouts of praise. And there are uh, new songs that come out in our worship. That there are moments in which when we worship God and we offer up praise, that there there are times in which we should go off script and we should just sing what's from the abundance of our heart and that it shouldn't have to rhyme or anything like that. It shouldn't have to be clever. It should just be from our heart. And that was something really cool. And then last week, we talked about our faith. We looked at the love language of God and and we evaluated. Some of us have a love language. Mine is give me stuff. No, uh, that's not necessarily my love language, but we've got words of affirmation. We looked at personalities, and everyone's got a different personality, but we discovered last week that the love language of God is that of faith, and he is looking for us to speak out in faith and step out in faith, and we discovered through that that our greatest act of speaking God's language is to continually be looking for him to deliver something that hasn't yet been given to us, and uh, that was pretty cool, and we we looked at um, faith, with faith that we can find freedom, perseverance, and maintain our convictions. And we looked at basically the three stories that were sung about in this song: we looked at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and what happens uh, when you maintain your convictions. We looked at Jesus calming the storm, and we looked at another story that I can't remember all of a sudden. See if I can't even remember what I preached last week, y'all are doing good if you can remember what I preached last week. So and this week we're going to look at our life of worship. Our life of worship. Everybody say life of worship to state the definition of worship. We've we've tried to define worship. We've looked it up in Webster's. We looked at last week, Jeremy Riddle had a cool definition of worship. I'm going to bring it down now today to the simplest word or the simplest sentence, phrase that I can to state what worship really is, and it's this. Worship is expressing my love to God. You've been waiting for me to get it down as simple as possible. I finally got us there. Worship is expressing my love to God. I want to... Uh, give this idea today, though, in, in the area, in the arena of worship, and, and think about worship and express love, that I cannot, think about this, I cannot love God and hate what he created. Think about that for a minute. Think about all the things that he's created. Think about the church. Think about the world. Think about uh, maintaining and, and carefully... Uh, stewarding what God has given us, I cannot love God and hate what he created. There's a phrase that we uh, started using in this church about nine months ago, and it was, we cannot, we've got to love what God loves and hate what he hates. So we've got to love what God loves. I cannot love what God loves and hate what he created and in that idea in that realm of worship one of the things that God loves more than anything is man. Think about that. We look at John 3:16 for God so loved the world. Think about the concept of loving the world. God loved the world that he sent his only son what to save you and I, right? Think about the world around us, the the concept of of the world, of, of the generations before us, that there is a dying world, there are men and women, children, there is a mankind out there that is in desperate need of a connection with God and However, we hear stories that he is revealing himself personally to man. He is sending Jesus even to the earth today to stand in front of the feet of people and say, look, quit persecuting me. Quit going the wrong direction. But ultimately what he is Put us here to do is to demonstrate who He is to other people. I hear stories and stories and stories of people of the Muslim faith that are coming now to Jesus Christ because Jesus is standing at their footsteps saying, Hey, I'm the real deal. You're chasing after the wrong prophet. You need to chase after me. I am the one and true God. And yes, that works. But think about the world in which we live today. God created man. God loves man. It is our greatest act of worship, not to stand in a place today corporately together and sing songs of edification to God and to magnify His name. However, that's one of my favorite expressions, one of the greatest expressions that we can do in in worship is to love other men. And when I say men, I mean women, children, mankind in a way that brings them in relationship with God. Last week I said if you want to know what you believe, Look at what you're doing. That was works behind faith. This week, I want you to look at something this way. If you want to love someone, you'll love what that person loves. Think of that in the area or the arena of the dating scenario. How many times, or even in in marriage or relationship, how many times do we uh, bow to our needs for somebody else? Think about just choosing a restaurant. How many times, men, have we eaten something we didn't want because our, our, our ladies in our lives wanted something? Okay, I know it went this way. There was no way she was going to eat what we wanted, so we had to eat what she wanted. Come on now. Isn't that how that works, right? Come on now. Okay, I know. In this room, everybody likes the same thing. It's barbecue, burgers, chicken, Tacos. I did. Okay, so Vanessa and I were just in California and there was one night that there were some leftovers. We stayed in a condo so we could actually take leftovers back to the place. And there was one night that there were enough leftovers for everybody but me to eat. So I finally got my sushi. I was so excited. No one was going to eat sushi with me. And I got my sushi. It was fantastic. Anyway, that has nothing to do with price of tea in China. So, anyway, back on my notes. So, if you want to love someone, you'll love what that person loves. It's a person... Uh, admires and worships God, then their behavior towards fellow man will reflect the love of God. Matthew 22, 37, and 39 is kind of the basis for this whole discussion today. And this is Jesus, and he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. I totally forgot to put my title slide that I created in the stuff today. You will love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. And this is the first commandment, the great and first commandment. And the second is like this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the first commandment is love God. The second is you'll love your neighbor. And I don't know how you can put the two together. I don't know how you can love God and not love your neighbor. I don't know how they can be exclusive of each other. And there's this precedent that's set and it goes all the way back to the Old Testament about loving your neighbor and we're going to do this journey way, 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 way back in time we're going to go all the way back to Leviticus Leviticus chapter 19 verses 9 through 18 and it says in verse 9 when you reap the harvest when you reap the harvest of your land. You shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Just think of the practicality of these words that we're going to read together in dealing with mankind. Don't reap the harvest right up to the field edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after you harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Look at the practicality of just dealing with mankind right there you shall not steal you shall not deal falsely you shall not lie to one another you shall not swear by a name falsely and so shall profane the name of your god i am the lord you shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him the wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until morning pay them swiftly what he's saying there. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. You shall not fear, or you shall fear and make sure we don't put a knot there. You shall but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall not do injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. But in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. And you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. But you shall reason frankly with your neighbor. Lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. But. So he's made this list. And he's saying. Leave some behind. Make sure the poor is taken care of. Don't speak negatively or, or cause false, false accusation against somebody. Don't slander. Make sure the person that is homeless and wandering has something to draw on. Be a decent human being is what he's saying. And multiple times throughout this, he's saying these words about how to treat other people. And he just says, I am the Lord. Who are you going to argue with? Who's got a greater authority than the Lord? Saying these these great things of how to deal with people. He makes this great list, but then he says it more simply. Or maybe it's more complicated, I don't know, because human nature has a hard time wrapping their brain around this next set of words strung together, and it says this. But you shall love your neighbor hard part as yourself isn't it kind of contrary kind of of contradict what I or what we were trained up in take care of myself I've got to speak out for myself I've got to make sure that I'm taking care of the things so that I can move up so that I can make more money so that I can Take a better care of, well, what about my family if I, I have to love my neighbor as myself? And then the greatest four words of authority spoken ever come up again. And he says, "I am the Lord." Well, what about me? What about my interests? What about my hopes, my dreams, my desires? Do you mean I have to completely surrender everything about me so that they can have? No. He still said gather. He still said bring in the harvest. He just said be decent. He still said you can love yourself, but love your neighbor as yourself. So the precedent is set here by the authority of the Lord, and he says love your neighbor Just as you love yourself. And then moving a little bit around, we go to Deuteronomy chapter 10 verses 12 through 22. And we look at some more ways in which we worship God by loving others. And he says, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? Well, I think sometimes that's one of the things that we are always trying to seek out in life is what God, what do you require of me? Maybe there was a little sarcasm in my voice there. I don't know. But sometimes we find ourselves in that position that, God, what do you want from me? Well, let's find out. He says, but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and here it is, to love him. It's cut and dry. To love him. But we just opened with the Scripture in Matthew that says, I have to love Him and love others. And we've got this idea that we can't do one or the other. We have to do both. And then he goes on to say to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today. And I love these next three words because... It puts the perspective in place because so many times it seems like all he wants is things from us and it's not fair. We've got to realize that God has a perspective like no other because he sees from the greater angle. It seems like in life we go around looking at the picture up close, all we see are the pixels. I was standing up on a stage at Saddleback Church this last week looking at a screen that I would love to have that, that probably cost them tens if not close to $100,000. And I got up close and all I could see were little bitty dots and I could not make out what the picture was. And that's life for us. But as I backed up, I could see much A much more clear picture than even this one on the wall. The resolution was high definition. But up close it was just little pixels. And that's the life we see. But you've got to realize that God sees the great picture. The grand scheme of things. He realized was there at the beginning. And he's already there at the end. He was there before life began for you, and He's already there with us in eternity. It's a hard thing for us to wrap our brains around. He knows what you're going to do tomorrow, as well as He knew what you were going to do three days ago. He's living with you in this moment, but He knows what life is going to be for you tomorrow. So He's got the great picture in mind. And so, looking at the Scriptures that I'm reading before you today, the grand scheme of things looking at this, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, keeping the commandments and the statutes of the Lord which I am commanding you today. Look at these three words. For your good. What a powerful three words strung together. For your good. You know, God never does anything for us that he isn't intending our good. He wants the best for you. He's a good father. He has hopes and dreams for you and for me he only wants the best for us he would never lead us in a path that would destroy us but to leave us in a great place and he goes on in verse 14 it says behold the lord your god behold to the lord your god belong heaven and the heavens of heavens the earth and with all of it is in it yet the lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskins of your heart to be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is a God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner. This word sojourner is just someone without a home. Someone who's wandering, giving him food and clothing, love the sojourner. Therefore, for you are sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. And by His name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you. Think of this. He's just asking you to do for others just as He has done for you these great things. That your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt 70 persons. And now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in heaven. This is the greatest prosperity message I could ever speak to you today. Do for others as he's done for you. Because he's done an infinitely greater thing for you than you could probably even pin if you just sat down and took the time to see how much He loves you and wants to bless you and wants you to be a blessing for others. And it's hard to be a blessing to and for others if you don't love them. And if you don't have a revelation of the love that He has for you, you've got to know how much He loves you. And in doing so, then it makes it so much easier to love others. Love for our fellow man springs from God's love and reflects His character. This is how our character reflects His character. And it is a character that is affected by God. See, the Old Testament is rich with illustrations. It, it shows us love in many ways. The love between a father and a son. We can see that in Genesis 22, 2, 37, 3, and Proverbs 13, 2. I'm just going to rattle off some uh, things real quick. It shows love between mother and son in Genesis 25, 28, between wife and husband in Judges 14, 16, and Ecclesiastes 9, 9, Genesis and Proverbs, and it goes on and on. Uh, between lovers and First and Second Samuel, between slaves and masters, or I could say between boss and employee in Exodus and Deuteronomy, between kings and his subjects, between people and their heroes, between friends, between daughters in law and mother in law, especially uh, looking between the sexual fulfillment. Yes, I just went there, but I'm not going to draw a map or anything between a man and a woman. Love is definitely prominent throughout all of Scripture. Love is the theme of Scripture, love is the reason that God has sent His Son. As a matter of fact, looking at love, why don't we move to the New Testament? Just spend a couple more minutes right there. Romans 8, 35 and 39 through 39 is one of the greatest uh, set of words. I don't know how, it's just one of the greatest passages of Scripture that talks about how included we are in the love of God. And it says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine, nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, I am sure, I am certain that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now think about this for a minute. It's easy to look at this scripture and say, hey, I, me, my person... You could fill in the blank, whatever your name is. I am sitting in this place that there is nothing that can separate me from the love of God. There is no circumstances, no height, no depth, no angels, nor demons, no principalities. There is nothing that can separate me. So if I sit in that place in this this realm that nothing can separate me from the love of God, then now take it from an inward focus and turn it and now look out and say there is nothing that can separate them from the love of God and that person from the love of God. And when you go to Walmart this afternoon, and notice that person that doesn't look like you, act like like you, or smell like you, there's nothing that can separate them from the love of God. And when you see the meth addict walking down the street, there's nothing that separates them from the love of God. And when you look at the young professional, there's nothing that separates them from the love of God. And when you go to the jail, there's nothing that separates them from the love of God. And when you see the gambling addict at wherever, there's nothing that separates them from the love of God. And it automatically changes your perspective perspective of mankind, and you are forced to have to reckon with the fact that the best way in which I can be a worshiper of God is to love that person the same way that God loves that person, and be face to face with the reality that if there's nothing that can separate them from the love of God, then there's nothing that should be able to separate them from my love, and I must open my mouth, open my arms, and make a way for them to know the love of God, which probably has them sitting in a place that they've not. Not known love before which is why they are so lost and dejected and hurt and searching for something and the only place they've ever found it is in drugs, sex and addiction and they need to find it in Christ and we are the greatest representation of Christ in northeast Oklahoma that they may ever see And I fail at it miserably on a daily basis. But I succeed by encountering the presence of God, by experiencing His love personally, by being transformed by His love, by doing everything I can to be more and more like Him. And I I was driving from Taft just a couple of weeks ago with a a female prisoner in the back of my patrol car who grew up in a Pentecostal church who has now denounced her faith in Christ and now calls herself a Muslim. And her words to me as I left Christianity Because I never found love there. I found love from Muhammad. A dead false God. My daddy who believed in Jesus beat me. My mommy who claimed Jesus introduced me to drugs. Now I know we're not abusive drug addicts in this room today. But we could be lovers of Christ and lovers of man. We could all do a better job at it. We will never be perfect at it, or we would be Jesus. But we can, we can sure work towards it. And the most basic thing, which is the most complex at the same time the thing that can be said about God that he is love. 1 John 4.8 and then skipping to verse 16. Says anyone who does. Listen to this closely. Who does not love. Does not know God. Why? Because God is love. Verse 16 says. So we have come to know and to believe. That the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. 2 Corinthians 13.11 says, finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for, listen to this word, restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. That doesn't mean like agree, like they're right, you're right, we're all right. It just means get along with one another. Live in peace and the love And the God of love and peace will be with you. God is love and he is a God of love. Titus 3, 4 through 5 says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our savior appeared, he saved us. Think about the strength of that. When the goodness and the loving kindness of our God and savior appeared, then he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And 1 John 4, 10 and 11 says, This is love. Oh, I'm going to define it now. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the payment for our sins. Dear friends, this is the way that God loved us. So we must love each other. And Romans 5, 6 through 8 says, For we were still weak. And at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For we will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows us his love for us. And that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. You see, we're ultimately good at a church and saying, you get your stuff together and then you can join us. You look like me and then I'll talk to you. You smell like me and then I might help you. But it's while we were still sinners that he died for me. Ultimately, though, we love because he loved us and loved others. Finally, though, We love others as an act of worship towards him. And we love others to him so that they can find freedom. I'm going to close with Psalm 102, verses 18 through 22. This is why we love people. Let this be recorded for a generation to come. first thing we love people is because it's for the next generation. There's another generation coming up behind us. But it is far from God, and the only way they're going to know God is by love. They're not going to know God by our words. They're not going to know by God by our sermons. They're not going to know God especially by the, 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 the things that we stand up for. They're going to know God by our love. So that the people yet to be created may praise the Lord. Look, listen to that. that He looked down from His holy height from heaven, the Lord looked at the earth. They hear the groans. Of the prisoners. I feel like I'm describing Miami right now. To hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who were doomed to die, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord, in Jerusalem, his praise. When people gather together and kingdoms to worship the Lord. Ultimately, people are set free when they discover the Lord. They discover the Lord because they discover his love. And they discover his love primarily through us. Let's be something that demonstrates how much you love us by how much we love others. Well, I sure hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. If it has blessed you, please click the subscribe, leave some feedback. Uh, Should you want to contribute towards this ministry and all that we're doing in northeastern Oklahoma, feel free to go to our website, wlmiami.com. That's w-l-m-i-a-m-i dot com. Click on the give tab and it'll walk you through some steps right there. God bless you and until next time.